Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Multispeed Technologies, the Ask Noah show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It is free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalai. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you as another episode of the Ask Noah show kicks off this hour. I hope everybody had a very relaxing and enjoyable Thanksgiving. To me, Thanksgiving is not only a time where I have an opportunity to spend some time with my family and and kind of relax a little bit, but it's also my opportunity to kind of catch up with projects, catch up with things that I've always wanted to kind of dive into, but I haven't really had the time or the justification at work to do. And a lot of those things are, of course, Linux-related stuff. Well, this weekend, I had an opportunity to dig into security cameras. Now, this is something that comes up from time to time. We've talked on the show about how Ring Doorbell has entered into agreements with law enforcement, and so if you purchase a Ring Doorbell and put it outside your house, your local police department can have access to those feeds with or without your consent. Um, And just in general, the Internet of Things is kind of a terrifying thing, and it's something that we've reiterated numerous times on this program. I've never really given a great answer as to what you can do for security cameras. Now, what we have been doing up until now at Alta Speed and what I've had in my house is uh, I've, I've kind of defaulted to the Unify camera system, and I've done that for a couple of reasons. The first reason is because Unify has provided me with excellent network equipment, excellent uh, support, and they really get the idea of self-hosting. Everything they make doesn't require some cloud service, doesn't require any sort of activation. You just buy it once, you plug it in, and it works. And I, be honest with you, I've been very happy with the Unify camera system. I think that it works very well. I think it's better than most of the other IP camera systems that are out there. I've had an opportunity through my day job at AltaSpeed to work with some very, very expensive ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars camera systems um, that are purchased by large companies. And I obviously had no input on what they purchased, but we were responsible for getting them up and running on the network. So I've seen what the big boys, quote, so so to speak, have to offer. And I don't think Unify lacks that much, but there are a couple of things that they have to cut to get to make a camera for $140 and a DVR for $400. And so as I as time has kind of progressed, one there is a couple of things that have made me nervous. The first thing that makes me nervous is I don't like vendor lock-in, and I don't like the fact that I can only use Unify cameras with the Unify NVR. I really would like it if Unify made it so that I could install any camera I want and connect it to their NVR, since, as we'll talk about in a little bit, IP cameras actually do have a standard from which they're to comply so that cameras and NVRs can be interchangeable. If you don't know what an NVR is, it's basically a small little computer that records everything the cameras see. We call it a network video recorder. Now, as it relates to the Unify system, one of the things that was an early draw to me was the fact that there is... There is encryption all throughout the system, and so when you're viewing a feed, you have an encrypted feed. The cameras have a secure uh, encrypted authentication token that bind them to the NVR, although I've been unable to actually ascertain as if the video feed itself is encrypted or if it just relies on the HTTPS transport as, as it's traveling through the browser to hit the, the user to, 
to to provide an encrypted video stream. I tried to pull the uh, the um, the direct feed off of the camera, and it does appear um, that there is an encrypted feed to to the NVR. But of course, being that it's not open source, I can't prove that. The nice thing about Unify is again going back to their their. I guess, support of people that want to self-host. You can purchase the NVR from Amazon for $299 or $399 or whatever it is and plug it in and it runs. But the truth is, underneath that box is just a Debian box running a repo that pulls the NVR software. Guess what you can do? And Unify provides instructions for you to do this, I might add. And they give you a repo and you can just download the NVR software yourself and set it up on your own box. Well, here's what's great about that couple of things. First of all, I can use Lux encryption and then all of the recordings for the NVR are actually encrypted at rest. And that makes me really comfortable. That makes me really excited that all of my recordings can be encrypted. The second thing it allows me to do is when I have large camera installs of, you know, 100, 150, 200, 300, and their little atom box with for 399 or whatever is never going to cut it. I can just go buy a enterprise grade Dell server with RAID and proper hard disk storage and proper redundant power supplies and EC registered RAM and all that good stuff and just install Debian and add a PPA and all of a sudden have a, a working uh, video recorder. That makes it worth overcoming the fact that it's not brand agnostic. And so f thus far, I have managed to stick with Unify. Well, in the past couple of weeks, well, actually over the past few years, Unify has done, uh, made a series of decisions that have continued to concern me, starting with the fact when they released Unify Protect. Now, we covered this on the show about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. And the issue with Unify Protect was they wanted to, they wanted to have a, they wanted to make a system that was more robust than their existing Unify video platform. And they knew that there were some features that didn't exist. In fact, there's a lot of features when you go to mainstream surveillance that don't exist with Unify. They are pan, tilt, zoom, for example. Unify does not make cameras that have PTZ, so you can't use a joystick. That pretty much rules it out for use inside of casinos, pretty much rules it out for use inside of gas stations. They don't have industry-specific cameras. Gas stations need license plate cameras so that it can capture license plates. It requires very specific software. It requires very specific lenses. It requires very specific positioning of the camera. It requires very specific motoring that can track the license plate and then ingest the numbers and letters that reside on the license plate. All of those things are very specific to license plates cameras. Walmart has recently rolled out a new security camera system. You've probably seen this with the flashing LED lights underneath in high theft areas like the cosmetics and, and, and so on and so forth. It's doing facial recognition. And those cameras are actually taking pictures of people's faces and then tracking them as well as when you go through the self-checkout. Now you can find more about that, of course, at the show notes podcast.asknoahshow.com or just Googling uh, Walmart Facebook cameras. Face recognition cameras, excuse me. But the... The problem with all of these systems are that they have very specific cameras that they make for those specific industries. They have specific use cases, and that's why they develop specific algorithms and stuff like that. Unify doesn't participate in any of that. And so it makes it very, very, very attractive to the home user who wants to keep an eye on what's going out outside their door. It makes it very attractive to the small business owner who just wants to keep an eye on their employees and what they're doing at work or if somebody slipped and fell in their lobby or on their driveway or whatever. Works fine for that kind of stuff. When you start getting into more use case specific surveillance, Unify just kind of falls flat. And because you can't use any other cameras with their system, it's kind of like a hard stop. And so in the back of my mind for a long time, I've kind of had it in my head that 
I probably need to really investigate, dig down and find and land on something else. Problem has been up until this time, one, I haven't had the time to do it, but also there are so many brands and so many solutions, many of which are Windows specific, that it it it's very daunting and almost to the point that it's difficult for me to actually sit down and do the work. Um, so over Thanksgiving, I had a chance to do that, and I thought we would take this episode and kind of describe and walk through that what that process looked like for me. So the first thing to understand is that there is, in fact, an interoperability standard that exists with IP cameras, and it's known as the ONVIF standard, and it's a standard to create how IP products within video surveillance and other physical security areas can communicate with each other regardless of what brand they're manufactured by. Now, this is an important standard because it means that you can buy a security camera from one company, use it with an NVR from any other company, and as long as they're both compliant to the ONVF standard, all of the pan-tilt zoom functions will work, all of the video will work, all of that stuff. Now, interestingly enough, there are some open standards that have just kind of taken over the web. You probably don't know it because I don't talk about it a lot, but about half the time I do the show, I'm not in the studio. I'm somewhere else. I'm either at a client location, I'm on the road, um, and I've got a small little box that I take with me that connects me back to the studio. And that that box communicates over RTP or real-time uh, media protocol, real-time streaming protocol, RTSP or RTP. And it, and it does a very good job at sending extraordinarily low latency audio from one place to another. And because it's UDP, it can punch through all sorts of firewalls and all that jazz. It works fantastic to the point that the audio quality and the delay is such that you are listening on the other end of your smartphone or, you know, smart box or whatever it is, however it is you consume the show, you have no idea that I'm actually sitting, you know, 300, 500 miles away sometimes and doing the show from a tiny little room. Uh, that's how great that box works. And the reason that box works is not because of some proprietary protocol. It's not because of some proprietary system. It's just because of the RTSP standard and how it's implemented and how all of the devices conform to that. The mixer that's in this room that I use uh, is an audio over IP mixer, and it essentially mixes RTP streams together. And so all of these RTP streams come onto the network, and each fader is assigned to an RTP stream, and it pulls it in and then plays it off. And it does it so fast and so in real time that if I put headphones on and I talk into the microphone, it's as if it's happening in real time. Now, that's how that's how great the RTSP standard. Well, guess what standard is used in the ONVIF standard for video? RTSP. So they actually send an RTSP video stream from all of these cameras to include the unified cameras I mentioned earlier. And this is what the IP surveillance network is kind of based off of. Now, interestingly enough, and I can only speculate here, but a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Edward Snowden's new book. And as part of that process, I went back and rewatched Citizen 4. And if you haven't seen Citizen 4, it's the actual video footage that Laura Poitras filmed while she was sitting in Edward Snowden's room. In that, he talks about pulling camera feeds from these various different drones that they had and how he was able to pull this feed and, and, and watch it on his computer. So my mental process kind of started along this line of, okay, if ONVIF is a standard for IP protocol and... And, and this RTSP stream is what is being used to deliver all of these videos, then chances are places like the federal government and places like large corporations, places like Walmart, places like the NSA, all of these places that have um, these massive surveillance things, this is the standard that they are likely using. Now, again, I can't confirm that. It's just speculation based on my knowledge. But my guess is that the vast majority of these 
large deployments that are using these, uh, you know, IP video streams are using RTSP. So I started doing some digging. We have clients. They have expensive 10, 15, $20,000 camera systems. Let's go look at what they're using. Let's see what works and let's see what doesn't work. And so I just started going around to clients that that had purchased large camera systems that were, you know, these are four or five, 600 camera uh, deployments. And I started to look at what they had. What brands are they using? What systems are they using? How are they controlling it? And how is it wired? What standard? And yeah, sure enough. All these cameras are, are ONVIF compliant, vast majority of them, and they're using RTSP streams. Okay, great. Now we have a starting point. So I started to look, what is the most Linux open source friendly, hosted at home, I can own my technology way to implement a system like this. So I started looking at NVR systems. The first I came across is the tried and true, and everybody's probably heard of it, ZoneMinder. Now, ZoneMinder is an open source camera platform for using IP cameras, or you can pull in analog feeds. It's a fantastic piece of software that does a really great job, but it kind of looks like a bad science project. I don't think the theming is that well. Now, I did have a listener reach out to me and say, hey, I'm using this for a major place, and I have done some custom theming, and I've set it up like this, and this is what my feed looks like, and doesn't it look great, and I had to admit it does. But there is a process involved in getting that set up. Second of all, when I actually went up to spin up ZoneMinder just to try it, it's a lengthy process to actually get the system up and running. You're building the database by hand. You're, you know, you're setting all of these individual components up. You can't just down. You can't just add a repo and let it install. They don't just have an appliance disk that I'm aware of. You have to actually set up a server. That's what you're doing. And so it's probably okay for people like me. It's probably okay for listeners of the show. It's probably not so great for the average home user that just wants a system that they want to plug in and play. And I know just as well as you probably do that the vast majority of us, while we like setting up servers and tinkering and playing, the reality is not all of us have the amount of time that we would like to spend setting these things up. And so my search kind of continued. The nice thing I like about ZoneMinder is it is FOSS, it's well-known, it's very well-supported, and the other thing is, it, regardless of what it looks like, it does work well enough, and the interface, while dated, um, at least they have a mobile app that you can use that is okay and connects into ZoneMinder. So if it wasn't for the cumbersomeness of setting it up, that probably would be a, a good go-to choice. Now, if anybody out there is listening to this and you're saying to yourself, hey, I want to, I have set this thing up or set that thing up, and I would be really interested in telling you how you could make ZoneWinder work, then give me a call at 855-450-NOAA. That's 1-855-450-6624, and we'll talk about it. If you're hearing this after the episode has aired, then send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. We'll go to Anthony in North Carolina. Hey, Anthony, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hello, Noah. Um, third time calling. Um, this question is semi-related to something that you helped me with before. Um, last time we talked, um, you suggested using a PIP server to back up a computer room. We've been using that since. Works great. We're using Fog, um, Fog Project. Um, but for this, we have a couple of laptops that are out at different sites. Um, we were testing um, UR backup or your backup, and it's... Hello? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm just listening. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Um, we we're testing your backup. It works great locally, but it works terrible, like, off-site. Mm. So I was like, is there anything that you know that does um, local file backups, um, incremental and full, and disk imaging um, in uh, incremental and full? 
let me ask you something. Are you a uh, are are you uh, do you work for the company directly or are you an independent contractor? Like, do you own the um, business? That I work for the company directly. You you work for the company directly. Okay. Um, no, it's a it's a nonprofit organization. Okay, so budget is probably kind of tight then. Yes, I am IT. Okay, gotcha. Okay, all right, sounds good. So, uh, so I'll, I'll tell you. So here's here's the here is the industry answer. The industry answer is something like Datto Technologies. Datto Technologies. One of the people who actually work for for Datto is 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 a listener of the show, and um, him and I have had some really interesting conversation. I've had him on the the show a couple of times, not representing his company, but just on because he's just a generally good guy and and knows what he's talking about. But his company, uh, Datto, actually purchased. Um, the open mesh technology and so they're actually getting to to some network stuff as well but they started doing backups and the way that they do offsite backups is this they if you were to go with Datto, which I'm not suggesting you do because your circumstance doesn't fit it and they're not priced for nonprofit, but if you were to go with Datto, they would send you an appliance. You would plug the appliance in, do your initial backup. Then you send the appliance back to them and they dump it into their data center, the permanent place that it's going to be stored, and it gets stored encrypted. Then your appliance just sends deltas or the difference between the initial copy and what has changed since then. And it continues to send those deltas and that's how mm -hmm. that works. But we can dig under the hood and and play around a little bit with how they're actually doing that, and then we can build the we can build the solution ourselves right here on the radio in, in like five minutes. So the way that they're doing that is they're actually using ZFS to send that data back and forth. Now you could use rsync or or you can use ZFS. I actually asked one of their engineers. They said, "Yeah, we actually just use ZFS. It works great." So you could build a small FreeNAS box uh, out of used parts. Just make sure to buy new drives because that's the thing that's really valuable, um, and put a small offsite box wherever it is needs to be and let them back up to that. Now they're going to back up, quote unquote, locally. And then to pull it from the offsite back to the main central place where you want to keep the data, you can either do that with ZFS send in the ZFS box itself, or you could have an rsync script that runs every single night and just dumps using bandwidth throttling, dumps all the delta, the change from with the first backup and whatever has been changed that day back. And the only problem I've ever run into with that, the way that rsync deals with moves is quite frustrating and I, I i'm not smart enough to be able to suggest a better way around this but if let's say you have a data directory called big data and inside of big data you have ten thousand video files that are each 20 gigs and all you do is rename big data to big data dash old because i don't know why but you rename the directory and so you just not thinking about it rename a directory and what rsync sees is oh we deleted the data big directory, okay, or big data. So it deletes that directory from the backup. And then it says, oh, there's a new directory called big data dash old. I better sync that over. And now you start all, even although all the data was there, all you did was change the name of the folder, rsync is going, the, the way that it handles a, a, a move essentially is what it is. The way that it handles that is it deletes it from the source directory and then recreates it on the destination directory. And so you're going to wind up resyncing hundreds of terabytes back down just because you renamed a folder. So there are a couple of caveats you have to keep in mind if you're going to go that route. But we have a number of clients that do backups exactly like that. We take a basic CentOS server or a basic uh, FreeNAS box, depending on what their needs are, and we set it up and, and their data gets either, it's an NFS share back to that 
that local storage box or they are manually copying data over to it and just kind of storing it there as their local file server. And then that file server using rate limiting backs up via rsync over the internet back to the central server. So that's the cheap and dirty way to get around that problem. But there are obviously a plethora of backup software out there, both open source and otherwise, that you can use that kind of handle those same things. And to, to, to really make a good recommendation, you'd have to get into what specific versioning of what specific operating systems and what kind of data you're backing up. Is it, is it you know, is it just Word documents or is it, are they large files? Do they ever need to be split? And there's all sorts of things that go in there. But the, the, your, your basic answer, if you're looking for a basic backup solution, and you want it to be off-site, and you don't want it to tank the internet connection, um, you can start with something as simple as rsync, and if you want to get to something a little bit more advanced, I would look at something like ZFS Send with FreeNAS. Okay, I think I'm going to definitely look into the ZFS Send because I'm already familiar with um, ZFS um, with my home system running uh, a disk shelf for myself with 24 drives in it on yeah. ZFS. Yeah, and it, you know what's great about and, it, man? Uh, that what, when, you go with, when you go with FreeNAS, all of this stuff is exposed, well, the vast majority of the stuff is exposed through the web UI to begin with. So creating a share is no longer a function of editing configuration files and set this NFS, you know, none of that. You just click on the share, add share, NFS, Samba, whatever you're doing, share it out, make the users, everything's good everybody's happy and then in the back end and i haven't tried this myself i just we interviewed the guy uh from ix systems so i'm I, I feel compelled to tell you that one of the other features that just came out with freenas is of one of the latest versions is the ability to do uh amazon um s3 and so you can actually you can actually use the same data uh, systems that Amazon is using to manage their large storage solutions, and you can implement that right in FreeNAS. And so, you know, there's another way that you could kind of accomplish the same thing. But basically, the 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 protocol that you're going with, or the protocol that I would go with anyway, is the local users from their laptops don't back directly up to the server. They back up to a uh, to a to a box that's on site to them, and then that device is what pushes out to the main that does the actual main main backup. Yeah, so I think, like, I don't know why I was, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I was just sitting here trying to get them, like, just, like testing it with um, a couple of laptops that's taking forever. It's like, this is not going to work. <laughs> yeah, no, and, you bet. And part of it, part, honestly, part of it, Anthony, is just I've been there before, right? It's not that, it's not that I can figure it out and you couldn't, or, like, if you hadn't thought about it long enough, you wouldn't arrive on that solution. Or, you know, it's just, it's one of those things where sometimes it's it's a function of I've done it enough times. I've gone out and been asked, how do we back this up? We have this off-site local thing that we want to back up. How do we do that? And I've had the answer to them. That's a great question, Anthony. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Again, 855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624. The email, live at asknoahshow.com. Tried ZoneMinder, was pretty happy with it, but felt it was a little dated, so I moved on. I Next, I looked at something called Blue Cherry DVR. Now, Blue Cherry, I was familiar with in the past. I'd played with them once before. They used to be, quote-unquote, mostly open source, like there were vast majority of the code base was open source, but it was still a proprietary uh, piece of software. And as of April in 2019, they went fully open source. Now, the interface is really good. I think it's a really a slick, usable interface. It certainly rivals anything from any of the uh, any of the general manufacturers that are out there for IP video surveillance systems. Um, looks great, works great. Of course, is compliant with the ONVIF standard. They do have an interesting model. If you install the Community Edition, 
uh, which is the default if you just add the PPA and install it. It will just tell you, hey, you're using the community edition. Thanks. If you'd like to purchase support, go over to our website and do so. If you install the professional version or enterprise version or whatever they call it, um, when you first when you first boot it up, it says, hey, it's going to work for 30 days and then you have to buy a license. But here's the great thing. The licensing is actually pretty cheap. It's like 150 bucks for, uh, I think, for eight cameras. And then it's like 300 bucks for 16 or 32 cameras. Um, and so it's not terrible. It's not a terrible amount of money, one time fee. And what that license fee gets you, uh, as opposed to the community edition is support. And so if you need help adding cameras or troubleshooting them. And so if you're just getting into the, the, the industry, I think that's a really phenomenal option. And the fact that it's completely open source top to bottom means that I, and they already have such a great start, such a great product to start with. I think there's a lot of future in Blue Cherry DVR, and I'm certainly going to keep my eyes on them. Now, the thing that broke it for me or the thing that killed it for me is it would work in my house because all I really need to do is be able to pull up camera feeds, look at them, and then occasionally go back and, and look at when something happened. And there's motion tracking. In fact, the motion tracking is far above and beyond what Unify has. And the ability to custom create layouts is substantially better than what Unify has. And so all in all, I would consider Blue Cherry to be a, a step up from Unify in every measurable way, except I think the Unify interface is a little bit prettier. The other thing I liked about Blue Cherry is because it's just, again, add a repo and install the software, I'm able to use Lux encryption on the device itself. So I can encrypt the NVR and have encrypted storage. Now, I, of course, could do that with Unify if I installed from scratch on my own hardware. But if I purchase their NVR, then the recordings are just sitting on the drive for anybody to grab. But I was really impressed with Blue Cherry DVR. In fact, it's what's currently running at my house because I'm that impressed with it and I really like it. Uh, it resembles most commercial platforms, really. I mean, that's really how I would describe it. But the thing that it falls down on and the reason that I can't adopt it fully is they don't have any app support. And I'm not much of a mobile user and I don't really care. My wife loves being able to pull up the cameras on her phone and being able to look at what's you know in the driveway and stuff. And of course, it's... A challenge enough for me to convince her to use all of the VPN technologies that we have to use and all of the security certificates and stuff like that to make it to where I'm comfortable having this stuff even connected to the internet. But um, but yeah, the, it's it's not a it's not a it's not a perfect solution. Um, my original goal was to have two camera systems in my house, both running on Blue Cherry. One was going to be the public-facing outside cameras, uh, have you know connection to the internet, those kinds of things. And the other one was going to be on a completely segregated LAN uh, that has no, not only not on like a separate VLAN, but a completely separate physical switch that has no access to the internet. And that's what I wanted to use for figuring out, you know, cameras in the entryway and stuff like that has if i'm waiting for somebody to show up have they actually arrived or are we still waiting if you know my kids are getting ready to go to school are they actually waiting by the entryway or do i have to come upstairs those are the kind of modern conveniences that i don't believe i should have to live without just because uh ip cameras have kind of gone crazy and people have started to abuse them i don't think that should be my fault or my problem to to deal with and so um i i want to i want to be able to use ip cameras but I don't want to be, I don't want them hacked. And one of the things that was pretty terrifying to me this week, and I've, I've, I've been aware of it before, but I had never been on the site and actually played around with it until this week. And that is Shodan, S-H-O-D-A-N dot I-O. Shodan is the search engine for internet connected devices. And so what this means is about what you probably think it does. 
There are some 73,000 devices that people have plugged into the internet without even changing the default password. And some people put together a site that basically aggregates all of those cameras and thermostats and whatever. And you can just literally click on explore and click on webcams or cams or net cams or uh, Tesla's on. I, I just you name it. There's something that's there. And, and so you open uh, the database and you click on what device you want to see. And, you know, there's right now just on the site, there's 44,695 cameras online that um I can just click on and view their camera feed because nobody even bothered to change the password. And what is terrifying about that to me is while I consider myself to be fairly security conscious at the end of the day, the systems that are in my house cannot be something that I have to maintain. That can't be a prerequisite of it existing in my house. I don't, I don't, update the firmware on my washer and dryer. I don't uh, I don't do security updates to my refrigerator. I, you know, I'm just not going to live like that. I manage IT infrastructure for a living. I'm not going to get home and start updating all of the appliances in my house, which is why I'm so adamantly against this internet of things. And it seems to me the simplest way to solve that problem is to utilize all of the technology in its current form, but just keep it off the internet completely on a totally separate land. And so that's kind of the route I've gone for, for the technology that's existing inside of my house. And so far it's worked pretty well, but the fact that there is no app for blue cherry kind of excludes it from use one for clients because they're going to want access to an app. But secondly, it excludes access for things like my driveway cam. So my wife can use it. So the search continued. The next piece of software I came across was not open source and it is not free. In fact, it's quite expensive. However, it is a extraordinarily robust platform. This is the kind of software that you would see if you went to a Las Vegas casino. It's the kind of software that you would see if you were working at a major bank. It's the kind of software you would see if somebody in the back of Walmart is managing their, you know, 7,000 cameras in a single store kind of a thing. And the software is called Exact Vision. And Exact Vision, uh, the thing I like about it is, one, it's very, very robust, as you would expect from from enterprise grade software. The interface is fantastic. Of course they have a mobile app. And of course that is fantastic. Um, the thing that, that sets it aside from all of the other enterprise software is instead of running on windows, at least exact vision does run on Linux. It runs on Debian. In fact, if you purchase one of their pre-configured, uh, NVRs, which range from, uh, a f from the high hundreds of dollars to the multi thousands of dollars, depending on how large of a system you need, uh, they ship you a Debian box running exact vision. Well, that means a couple things for me. First, it means that I can use Lux to encrypt the drive. And so, again, my, my recordings are being stored encrypted. So I like that. Second thing, because it's a major platform, they're one, they're not going anywhere. They're going to be around for a long, long time. Two, to the best of my exploration, there is nothing that ties me to the company. So once I purchase their product and install it, as long as it's offline, it's not like I have to activate the software or anything like that. It's just you you buy licensing, you, you set it up, and it's a one-time deal, and now you have an appliance, and it can run for 25 years. Things I don't like about it. First of all, of course, it's not open source, and that makes me trust it less. Second of all... Um, they have a licensing structure for the cameras. The way that you pay for the software is $100 per camera per year, or once you've purchased the license, you can maintain the cameras for $25 per camera per year after that. Now, I contacted ExactVision. I said, what happens if I don't pay for the upgrade? What if I don't pay for the annual maintenance of $25 per camera? What happens? Nothing. You can still use the cameras. You can still use the NVR. Everything continues to work. You just won't get any software updates. You won't get any security updates. It won't. They won't support the latest cameras because they're constantly making changes. 
that was so far acceptable to me. The, the straw that broke the camel's back and why I continued my search was if you ever go to pay for the, like, let's say you have 16 cameras and you've been happy with it. So you never paid the update and it's sitting on your offline network. So I don't really care about security updates. It's perfectly fine. And it runs for, let's say eight years, 10 years. And now I go back to exact vision. I say, Hey, I want to add another camera in my backyard. So I want to go from, you know, 16 cameras to 17 cameras. Well, guess what? You have to back pay the maintenance for all of the cameras that you didn't pay for the, you know, X amount of years. And that just is weird. Uh, you know, if you buy QuickBooks, for example, it's a proprietary piece of software. And if I buy QuickBooks 2013, when I go to buy QuickBooks 2019, they don't back charge me for QuickBooks 2018, 2017, 2016, 2015, 2014. I can just buy QuickBooks 2019, right? And then I have it. I don't like the way that they have structured their licensing, but I do understand to a certain degree that they're not targeting the Noah Chalayas and Ulta Speeds and the listeners of the Ask Noah show. They're targeting, you know, the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. And so $100 per camera, $25 per year, it's a joke to most of these places, so they could care less. And so it's it's something that is on the back burner, but it's not my my first go-to. If I had a client come to me tomorrow and said, you know, we need a 7,000 camera uh, deployment and, uh, you know, we need to be able to access it. We need to have dedicated viewing stations because we have four security staff on uh, staff and they're going to be sitting there with joysticks controlling all of the cameras. Well, Unify is never, ever going to cut it. And uh, ZoneMinder is probably not going to cut it. And Blue Cherry is probably not going to cut it. So I'd probably go with Exact Vision. Um, it's good enough, I would say. So that arrives to where I landed last night or the night before. I did some more digging and come across Synology. Now, we're all familiar with Synology, or at least we should be, and they make network-attached storage. It's basically a proprietary alternative to FreeNAS. If you're not using FreeNAS, you could purchase a pre-built appliance uh, from a company called Synology, and it's just a NAS you plug in, and it runs as a NAS. Well, they started doing a thing where because the underlying operating system of the Synology is in fact Linux, they started using container technology to deploy other applications on top of the NAS. And this is pretty popular, right? In both FreeNAS and in Synology and in QNAP, you add apps to it. And so you can you might add a Plex server or you might add a BitTorrent server or you might add an own cloud instance or whatever. And it's just a one-click deployment kind of a thing and it deploys an app. Well, one of the apps that they have for Synology, started as an app anyway, uh, one of the apps that that started on the Synology NAS was Surveillance Station. And Surveillance Station was a little app that you could view some IP cameras and do some recording back to your NAS. Well, that's cool, I thought to myself. I should check into that. And all these people were using it on Reddit and on various forums and other places. And everybody, for the most part, is really happy with it. So I look at the interface. This thing is fantastic. It looks great. It looks sharp. They have mobile apps. It looks. It, it is like the Unify system except it works with any other camera. It's exactly what I wanted from Unify. Now it's not open source and I can't encrypt it with Lux, but at least it has a very good looking interface and it has a great looking app. And so I started looking more and turns out Synology actually makes a dedicated NVR. So this is more than just a side thought to them, I started to think. This is something that they're actually interested in pursuing. Well, I go over to their surveillance station uh, site, and they have a configurator, and you can put in, I want 32 cameras, I want this much storage, I want this resolution, I want this frame rate, and it tells you, here's the NVR we'd recommend for your appliance. So I spec'd out a 32-camera system, 1080p, 30 frames per second, and it came out to something like 299 And I thought, I have to do this. So I ordered the... DS718 Plus 
uh, from Synology, and it's supposed to be here at the end of this week. Now, the Synology does do a camera licensing. It's $50 per camera licensing, but there's no backdating licensing. You just buy the cameras when you need them. It's a one-time fee. It's not perpetual. Again, not open source, but at least it runs on Linux. The interface looks great. They have a great looking app. It has the same app reviews as the Unify app, which made me happy because I was a little concerned at the quality of these mobile apps. But the truth is, I don't think that people that download security uh, NVR apps really have a true understanding of what it is they're downloading because there are so many apps that have three-star reviews, four-star reviews, and but if you go and actually read them, they say, well, the camera feed stutters, or I can't view more than one camera or four cameras at one time or some stupid thing like that. What you have to understand is when you're dealing with IP camera systems and you're outside of the, you're outside of the building and you're remoting in, each one of those cameras is sending a 1080p stream to your phone and you're trying to pull that up. So yes, it's not going to be like watching Netflix for crying out loud. There's going to be some stutter. There's going to be some network problems. You're going to have to tolerate that because the mobile data plans were not built for streaming 32 1080p streams to your to your Samsung phone. No, nor did Samsung or Apple design your phone to do those things. And so I kind of take those a little bit with a grain of salt. The Unify video app, which I think works perfectly, I've never had an issue with it. It works as good as can be expected for what it is. And this, the app for the Synology NAS for the surveillance station, they have two. They have a live version and they have a pre-record where you can go back and look at recordings. Both of them had, I think, three three stars, three and a half stars. Um, very, very similar to the Unify system. And the price point is similar to the Unify station. And the internal specifications are sim similar to the Unify NVR. So... My speculation, and I obviously won't know until this device gets here, my, my, my speculation is that this uh, Synology surveillance station is going to be about the same experience as the Unify system without the lock-in of Unify. And so it kind of earns, it's kind of my first place for um, deploying these IP camera systems uh, going forward. And of course, it's going to mean that I have to do some testing and trial and make sure it works the way I think it does. But if it works as good as the Unify station, I'm a step ahead because I no longer am locked into one specific brand. Now, importantly, I should mention, the, while the Unify NVR cannot be used with other branded cameras, it is true that the Unify cameras can be used with other uh, stations. And because of that, they are almost my top spot for IP-based cameras because they can do a traditional ONVIF uh, RTSP stream um, to whatever system you're using. Now, there's a $140 camera. There's no variable focal length lenses. There's no zoom. There's no PTZ. There's no, I mean, there's no nothing. They're just basic cameras. But if you want a basic IP camera, you'd honestly be hard pressed to buy a better one uh, than the Unify at their price point. But let's talk about cameras. I started to do some research into cameras and everywhere I turned, everybody is rec uh, recommending Hike Vision. The Reddit forums are recommending Hike Vision. Open source users are recommending Hike Vision. Home, you know, home home assistant are, people are recommending Hike Vision. Everybody recommends Hike Vision. You would think if you went on the internet that Hike Vision is the is the the, the the is the sliced bread version of IP cameras, and nothing could be further from the truth. Hike Vision is not just another Chinese company. They are literally owned by the Chinese government. And so you can assume that they use their products when selecting free thinkers for punishment and torture and all that other stuff. And this was pointed out by a Reddit user. But uh, there are a bunch of organizations that prohibit the purchase from Chinese companies specifically because of the privacy implications 
of a Chinese company of a surveillance state manufacturing a camera. This is manufactured by the very company that makes it for the state themselves. Additionally, Hike Vision is heavily subsidized, and so they're offering these really great cameras for really low prices, and it seems like they're just a really good deal. The truth is, what is actually going on? Why are they actually able to offer a nice camera for a cheap price? Now, myself and other people have speculated that you could, obviously, put them all in their own segregated land and all that kind of stuff, and if they didn't have any access to the internet and blah, 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 but... Do you really, really, really want to put a camera inside of your house, inside of your business that the government themselves wouldn't trust to put in? Like the NSA wouldn't put a hike vision camera in their facility and they have all the best security, you know, out there for defending against attackers. Genetech, which is one of the most highly respected cybersecurity risk evaluators out there, said that hike vision cameras are a cybersecurity risk. And um, they they they're very respected when it comes to video management software and, and, and those kinds of things. And they've dropped all support for hike vision cameras and they have deemed them untrustworthy. And uh, just a simple Google Gentech hike vision and you can find article upon article about what untrustworthy means exactly. But the point is, if you don't want to backdoor into your network, do not. I repeat, do not purchase hike vision cameras, which is. If you go to any other web form or ask anybody else, chances are they're going to tell you that this is like the the this is the this is the hidden golden nugget in IP cameras and I just I couldn't disagree more. So who makes the best IP camera out there? I started to do some digging and found Axis has was the company who released the first IP camera way back in the early 2000s. And interestingly enough, I went on eBay and found some of those original cameras. They're still for sale and people are still using them. So that tells me uh, roughly what kind of company Axis is. Additionally, when you go to Axis's website and look at the kind of cameras that they offer, they offer explosion resistant cameras, they offer vandal resistant cameras, they offer license plate cameras, facial recognition cameras, budget cameras, dome cameras, hidden cameras, uh, you know, pinhole cameras you name it they make a camera if there's an industry or a specific purpose they make a camera so that was enough for me to kind of get started and i said okay i have to buy one of these access cameras well as you might imagine because they're a very reputable manufacturer and because they are pretty much the leader in ip network cameras they're very expensive and so the the, the go-to gold standard for an access camera is a 4k camera and it cost about eight nine hundred dollars and i wasn't about to spend eight or nine hundred dollars on a camera that i would use day to day let alone something i'm going to test and do a review for on the show so i went over on ebay and found a couple of access cameras that were uh, were brand new in the box, but heavily discounted. And it is the M2025. And uh, this is a bullet camera from Axis, a 1080p, 30 frame per second camera. Um, they retail new for about 300 bucks. And uh, I got them for a little bit cheaper than that. And plugged them in and blown away. Blown away. First of all, when you log into the interface on the Unify camera, I can basically choose the name of the camera. I can set the IP address. I can flip the video and I can make some adjustment to like the hue and contrast and stuff like this in the Axis camera. I can add text boxes. I can change what kind of feed it is. Is it an encrypted RTSP frame? Is it RTSP frame uh, feed? Is it unencrypted? Is it both? 
I can create user management inside the camera itself and give different users different access to do different things. I can tell the access camera to add a storage system and instead of having an NVR, you could just tell it when it detects motion. This is all right on board the camera itself. When it detects motion, just go ahead and save the recording to this NAS over here and here's an NFS share or a Samba share. So you don't even need an NFS or a, a, um, an NVR at that point if you don't want to do live viewing. You could just log into the access camera itself. You can take that RTSP feed and feed it right into VLC. I also tried pulling it into OBS and that worked great, which means that they have applications beyond security. I can do things. I could use them for actual streaming. The picture quality is out of this world. It is just razor sharp focus. And part of that is this entire camera is designed for people that have to install thousands of these things. And it shows the, the, uh, and yes, Dos Geek, it is the M2025. The, the way that the camera works is it, you pull it out of the box and it's basically this giant chunk of steel, solid steel with two very deep, you know, holes that you can use for mounting the camera. And then attached to that is the actual camera module. And as you might expect, the camera itself is fairly difficult, but I can change the zoom on the lens. There's a little uh, dial to do that. I can focus the lens. I can change where the, you know, where the, where the camera's pointed, obviously, instead of having like a ball inside of a socket and you loosen the little knob and then point it kind of where you want it. And hopefully it's there. And then you tighten it back up. This is a three axis gimbal. And so you can adjust the up or down. You can adjust the left to right all with little tiny clicks. So you can get the camera pointed exactly where you want it. Then once you have all of that done, then you put on the housing. And the housing is just a big plastic dome that, or in the, in the case of, in the case of the, uh, the bullet cams there, they, uh, you know, you just adjust it from the bullet, but in the dome version, you just put the dome over it and put two screws in security screws, I might add. And now the camera's assembled. So if you ever need to maintain the camera, you ever need to work on the camera, you need to do anything. You just take two screws and pull it off. I've worked on some Vivotech cameras and I've worked on some Panasonic cameras where it's like a day long process just to disassemble the darn thing so that you can go in there and make, you know, raise the thing, uh, you know, an inch and a half. It's ridiculous. Axis is I don't have enough good things to say about Axis, and I've only been playing with it for like maybe six or twelve hours over the over the holiday weekend, and I could not find enough good things to say about this camera. The second thing is, start googling around Axis camera network security, and you find that they have loads of information, even on cameras they made ten years ago, on making sure these 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 things stay up to date, so it doesn't put a hole in your network. Now. How about Access the company? Can we trust them? Are they reputable? Are they interested in trying to lock you into their standards? Well, it turns out, guess who designed the ONVIF standard? The ONVIF standard was started in 2008 by Axis and Bosch and Sony. But they came together and said, listen, we make really good cameras. We know how to make really good cameras, and we want this to become the standard. I, everybody should be using IP cameras. So we don't care if you use our system or somebody else's. We want you to just buy good cameras, and we know that we make good cameras. And so they actually worked with other software companies, said, hey, you want, now we, they make their own NVR system. It runs on Windows, so it's a non-starter for me. But the, they, they worked with these other companies and said, hey, do you want to make NVR software? Do you think you could do it better than we do? Well, here we should make a standard so that everybody can design software that will work with our cameras, and our cameras will work with yours. Unsurprisingly, when you log into Blue Cherry DVR, one of the pre-configured models is Axis because all of the Axis cameras, even though they're very different model numbers because they're all industry specific and have various different features and all that, guess what? They all have a standard interface and it, they all feed video the same way. And the pan tilt zoom function all works the same way. And the user management all works the same way. And the web interface all works the same way. So 
when you go to set one of these cameras up, you can log into Blue Cherry, you can log into ZoneMinder, you can log into Exact Vision, you can log into, I hope, well, actually, I know, I, I checked it out myself. You can log into the Synology, and you can uh, you can choose from a drop-down list, hey, I'm using a uh, an access camera. Now, Nailer in the chat room asks, how good is the AR? It's not even in the same ballpark. I put the, I turn the IR on, on the, on, on the, on one of the access cameras and I put it outside my driveway. The Unify, the light was, the, the way the IR is situated inside of the dome lens, it blinds the camera and I just, I can't see anything. Uh, with the access, it was like I was looking in daylight. It was like it was daytime at night, except, uh, it was grayscale. I mean, I could see the leaves, uh, not leaves because we have snow, but I could see the, the detail on the trees. I could see the detail on the on the cars. I mean, I could see details as uh, cars are driving by. I just, it's fantastic. I, I don't have enough good things to say about Axis. So the M2025, again, this is their little pricey because the, the 4K cameras start at like $800, but the M2025 starts at $300. Bucks. Um, you can buy B&H photo and, and videos is who carries them if you're not buying them used like I did. Um, and what you can do with these things is uh, either use them standalone or tie them to an NVR. Now, if you say to yourself, hey, even 300 bucks, that's way too much. I'm still not going to be able to, to afford a camera like that. Then there are some other budget-friendly alternatives. Now, I have not investigated this nearly to the extent that I have investigated Access because I've already made my decision. Every camera in my house will be an Access camera. You cannot find anything better. There is literally nothing I don't like about it. They're designed from the ground up to be interoperable with anything, in to include open source uh, software, and they run on open standards. I just don't have enough good things to say about Access. But the second best one would be a company called Hanwha. Han Hanwha? H-A-N-H-W-A. And um, they are a, a budget manufacturer, but a good budget manufacturer. They make good cameras. And of course, Panasonic, I would rank them as a third best. They're a little expensive, and it, it's hard to find specifications of what people are using. I don't see a lot of them in production, and so I wasn't able to... Like, access cameras, I started looking. They're everywhere. Every one of our clients, not every one of them, but a lot of the clients that we have are using access cameras. Um, and they've been using them for a long time, 10 plus years. So I, I really believe that if I purchase uh, Axis cameras, I'm going to have cameras to use for the next lifetime. But uh, Hanwha and Panasonic, I've seen them from time to time. That seems to be the, 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 the two other brands that, that I, would, um, I would look at. And then all of these other Chinese manufacturers, uh, you know, uh, Foscam, Hikvision, uh, Duhawa, D-A-H-U-A, um, and some of the others, I would just stay away from them. I, unless you're putting it in something where you really don't care about the privacy. And one of the things that I've thought about doing, uh, more than thought, I actually ran the wire to do it, but I, what I would like to do is down in the corner of the Ask Noah show page, or maybe on our Ultra speed page, I'd like to put an access camera out in the parking lot. And just so you can, so just because I think it'd be fun to see we're on a major road in Grand Forks. And I think it would be cool for the residents of Grand Forks to be able to have a traffic cam to kind of see uh, what the traffic on Columbia is working like. And I also think it'd be kind of cool if I was listening to a show, I'd want to know kind of what the outside conditions are and just kind of what the environment is like from the person that's talking. And that's a way I can do that without having to worry about, well, if I'm not in the studio, then the video becomes irrelevant because it's a video of an empty chair. And so we're looking at putting a camera out there. It'll be an access camera, but, but streaming that live to the internet, and we can do that through OBS. Um, and so, yeah, if you're looking for cameras, access, 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 and that's A-X-I-S. And of course, we'll have a link in the show notes. Otherwise, uh, Hanwha, and I'll have a link uh, to, to those cameras in the show notes as well.
Not going to have enough time to to dig into this to the to the level that I wanted to, but Trickbot uh, is a is a uh, is a is a malware that has perpetuated Windows hosts and downloads different modules to perform various functions. One of them is called PowerGrab sixty four that retrieves the login credentials uh, inside of the victim's browser cache and from installed applications. Well, guess what Trickbot is stealing from. Uh, from installed applications now. Yeah, unencrypted HTTP traffic and uh, you guessed it, SSH keys. So one of the new requests from TrickBot is open SSH private keys and open VPN passwords in the configuration files. And so it grabs that data and then pushes it back to their server. They're, they're using an exploit that they found inside of the PuTTY client to pull those private SSH keys. Now, SSH keys in proper security practices really should be rotated. You shouldn't just leave them and assume that they're fine because again, one of the problems with asymmetric security is if I have a private key and a public key and somebody steals my private key, I have no way of knowing that the private key was stolen. And so at AltaSpeed Technologies, the way that we've worked around this is we've implemented YubiKeys and we use a, a hardware-based uh, you know, authentication token to, to circumvent that problem. But if you didn't have that, then you would want to rotate your SSH keys. And interestingly enough, even big banks don't change their SSH keys. And even worse, many of the SSH keys never expire, so they can be used uh, as long-term backdoors to the attackers that are able to to, to grab them. And so with TrickBot um, going through and, and stealing these keys, this is a major problem. And although SSH keys are used for many different kinds of privileged actions, most organizations don't really have any controls in place to uh, to try to correlate what people are doing bad things and what people are doing good things. And when people are fired, we have to revoke these access and that. There really isn't a, a good system in place. And without broader recognition of what, SSH keys are doing and the kind of access it would give an attacker, we have major, major holes in our security control system. And it's something that I just wanted to kind of shed some light on and make people aware of. But we'll have a link for you can read the entire article about the trick bot and how it's evolving to steal SSH keys in the show notes at podcast.asknoahshow.com. And of course, there you'll also find all of the articles and references I used to put together the research for um, my security cameras. Jason writes in and says, no, a long-time listener, first-time emailer. I'm wanting to upgrade my thermostat in my house to a smart thermostat. I'm not really a fan of Google's Nest and Amazon Ring thermostats since both companies want to rule the world. Ideally, a thermostat would have some sort of logging, home temperature, set temperature, furnace runtime, etc., and a way to control the thermostat remotely would be nice, but it's not a must-have. My home uses propane heat, and I'm wanting to track how much propane is used on any given day to heat the house. Self-hosted would be nice, but I'm not opposed to a cloud service, provided the company is not evil. I can get my data and the fee, if any, is reasonable. Jason. So, Jason, what I have done in my house is I'm using the Honeywell Redlink system. And the thing that I like about the Honeywell Redlink system is that, one, it is self-hosted. There's nothing talks out to the cloud unless you want it to. There is a gateway that you can tie it into the, to the smart speakers of the world. But by default... It just, the only thing it does is the thermostats talk to the controller of your furnace and it's a, it's a completely closed system and, uh, and, and works that way. Now they have integration to other applications. And so one of the things you can do if you want to start tracking stuff is you can use something like home assistant and home assistant has support for Honeywell Redlink, And so you can have the home assistant app on your phone and you could control all of your thermostats and do all of that through Honeywell's Redlink. Now let's say you didn't want the, the hassle of setting up 
uh, Honeywell Home Assistant. Well, guess what? They do have a cloud controller that you can buy for about 150 bucks, and it connects. It's called the Redlink Internet Gateway, and it will connect your Redlink system right up to the internet, and you can use the Honeywell app. Now, is it what I would do? No. Is it what I do do? No. Is it what I would recommend you do? No. But if you want a company that isn't interested in ruling the world and they just want to provide a way for people to control their thermostats, Honeywell is kind of doing that. And I, I've been really happy with the system. I particularly like that even though the system isn't based on open standards, they have a defined way to talk to it. So it means that I can use open systems to control the closed source systems. That's usually good enough for me. If you haven't checked out the this week of the School of Hard Knocks, I invite you to do so. I interviewed my wife, Sarah. We talk about priorities, lifestyle, marriage, and love. I think it's a great episode. Everybody should check that out. The Ask Noah Show continues next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. Huge thanks to Ben, our, call, or our producer, Sarah, our call screener. We'll see you next week, 6 p.m. Tuesday at AskNoahShow.com. <laughs>